Um, well, I, um, when we start, I looking at the topic that uh, they gave me to do uh, for this series of lectures. Um, they gave me the topic of biblical parenting, and I thought, boy, there's got to be somebody that's better at this than I am, right, uh, that teach on biblical parenting. Uh, and from the outset, you have to know I am not uh, an expert in parenting. I have three children. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 16 and a half years. Her name is Johnny, um, and we met at college, Bible college, and really kind of grew up in the first part of our marriage uh, here at Sunrise uh, and we have three kids, three girls, a 13-year-old, uh, an 11-year-old, and a soon-to-be 7-year-old, just in about a week and a half. Um, so we're kind of getting into the teenage years now with our 13-year-old and just have dipped our toe in there uh, and then uh, all the way down to a 6-year-old, almost 7-year-old. Um, so I can tell you as a parent, I have not arrived, all right? So I am um, uh, certainly not uh, an expert on the topic. However, we do have the expert's perspective on the topic, and that's God's perspective. And so um, if one thing that you will, uh, that we know about child rearing, and if you've had children, you'll know this, that it teaches you that you need God's help. <laughs> There's a there's a level at which you realize right away, oh my goodness, I'm in over my head um, pretty quickly. And you need God's help on this matter. So um, if your prayer life doesn't increase when you start having children, then you really haven't gotten, a, gotten the right perspective yet. Uh, because it will. It'll teach you you need God's help. But and uh, no matter how hard it is, and it is difficult, and there are times when you're perplexed, uh, and as you help people, there's going to be times of perplexed. The reality is it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Uh, because we have God's word, we have a sufficient word, we have a sufficient Christ, and we have a sufficient spirit. And so it's not hopeless for the people that are struggling in parenting. And as you learn to help people, you're going to help a lot of people in this category. The parents that are just unsure and um, really, they're probably going to be somewhat hopeless. That's probably why they're talking to you. Um, but uh, we know that from the scriptures, there is hope. And one of the things I think we need to say at the outset, I'm make sure I got this, that we can do, is this. This is really a, a very important foundational uh, step or foundational understanding is that God's goal for your life does not change the moment you have children. Okay? Um, it might feel like it the moment you have children. But God's goal for your life does not change the moment you have children. And it's really important to establish this at the outset because the glory of God um, is still maintained as the primary goal and the primary motivation of parents, just like it is of husbands and wives and teenagers and children. It really doesn't change that. God still desires that you bring him honor. You bring him honor by being like Christ. God knows that you're not perfect, but he does expect you to be growing. And by the way, if you haven't memorized those three phrases, you have to, right? Th those are really critical, foundational um, uh, motivations and goals. Um, God desires you to bring him honor. You bring him honor by becoming like Christ. God knows you're not perfect, but he does require you to be growing. 
Uh, and so we say that at the outset because understanding that God's goal for your life does not change kind of settles us some and settles parents some in the process because parents can have a lot of different goals, even a lot of different goals for their children, okay? And a lot of different um, understandings of what it looks like and what it means to parent and what God expects from them as parents. And the reason that we can say that parenting is not hopeless is because God still expects us to honor him and the scriptures are sufficient and the spirit of God working within us is sufficient to allow us to parent in a God-honoring way. As long as we keep that our goal, because again, we can have a lot of different goals, whether it's, you know, kids that are well-adjusted to society. And we'll talk about some of the goals uh, that fit under the category of what it looks like uh, to have a goal to glorify God. We can have a lot of goals for our kids athletically or educationally or uh, socially, financially even. We can have a lot of goals for them. But above all those goals, what parents have to remember and what stabilizes them and anchors parents is understanding that God's glory remains your primary target, even in parenting, even in parenting. And that's critical. So the first thing we're going to talk about is really uh, is our approach to parenting. Um, and <clears throat> we're going to uh, talk about our attitude. What you'll find is that much of the issue with parenting uh, starts with the parent more than it does with the child. It starts more with the parent than it does with the child. So parents might come to you and say, can you talk to my child because they're a mess? And you might say, well, sure, I'll have some conversations with your child, but I really want to have a conversation with you, right? I really want to start with you because a lot of the issues of parenting begin with the parents. Um, so more than techniques, parents need transformed character okay more than having a set of techniques that they can use and there are all kinds of techniques that are helpful some more helpful than others right we understand that but even more so than techniques what parents need is for their character to be transformed and there's several approaches that parents can have towards children we're calling them attitudes right an attitude they can have especially towards the problems that their children have and surprise, surprise, every child has problems. Right? I mean, they live in this world just like we do. And if we have problems, our children have problems. Um, and contrary to what we would really like, they don't come prepackaged without any of those problems. They come packaged with problems, okay? And that, that's true. So, so our approach to them, our attitude toward them, really is affecting how we parent. So here's a few of them. Uh, the impatient parent. The impatient parent. That's one attitude a parent could take. You can see several different um, <clears throat> kind of ways this might play itself out. It's kind of the why me syndrome. That's a little bit of self-pity in the impatient parent. Man, why did I have to get this troublesome parent, this troublesome child, right? Um, why does it have to be me that gets this one? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, we assume you know, we, we kind of have this idea sometimes as parents. It's like, man, I wasn't like this as a kid. Why do I have to have a kid like this? And actually, what our parents are saying is, <laughs> you got one just like you, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. Or this impatient parent might say, I have a right to a problem-free child. 
parent. I have a right to a problem-free child. And again, <clears throat> when we're helping people, they might and likely will not come right out and say, I have a right to a problem-free child. But that is certainly um, implicit in their thinking. It's implicit in the way they're talking. Uh, my child has problems, and I should have a child that doesn't have problems. All right. um, a child has, this child has no right to bother me. Might be another way they might express that. Um, they're inconveniencing me. They're just troubling me. Right? I've got a lot of other things on my plate, and this child just doesn't have a right to bother me. They forget, ultimately, the child needs to be brought up or trained. It's so obvious, isn't it? So obvious. But if we're honest, as parents, we might forget that as well. And, and they're going to forget that, too. That this child needs to be brought up or trained. They don't come out, um, again, prepackaged without any problems. And they just certainly don't come out prepackaged as self-cleaning and, and self-disciplined and, and all these things we might hope, right? Or we assume that it should be as parents. And we kind of forget that this is a child entrusted to us that needs to be brought up. Brought up. They need to be trained. And so that would be the impatient parent, or maybe the attitude might be, the approach might be a passive parent. Now, how do we deal with children and their problems? Well, some parents take a passive approach. Impatient parents might be a little bit angry, uh, sulking in self-pity. Passive parents take it easy. Right? It's no big deal. It's just a passing stage. All kids go through this, right? It's not a big issue. Uh, and uh, that, that kind of becomes um, their mantra. Their motto is just big deal. It's just a passing stage. And we don't, we, th this is swinging the pendulum to one side. We understand that there, we're going to expect kids to be kids, right? We understand that. Um, but the passive parent just doesn't do anything about it. This is, well, it's not a big deal, it's just a passing stage, or my child would never do that. And maybe <clears throat> the passive parent, if they're on the playground and, you know, the child hits, hits another kid and, you know, the parent says, you know, hey, the other parent of the other child says, it was kind of a scuffle and, and your child hit mine. And, oh, no, little Bobby wouldn't do that. My child would never really do that. I, I'm sure there has to be some kind of mistake for that. They're passive. It may be wrong, but it sure is cute. Oh, it's just funny. Right? If we're honest, sometimes the way a child acts, sometimes you've got to kind of keep it in. But in reality, sin is never funny. Right? Isn't that true? If they're acting sinfully, that, that's not funny in God's sight. It shouldn't be funny in ours. Um, you know, the little girl that's sassy and disrespectful to her parents. It may look funny from the outside coming from a three-year-old, but in all reality, that kind of disrespect is not cute and funny in God's sight. So, so a passive parent might, might let that pass too much. He's too young to learn, right? They're just too young to learn. Um, they can't understand what we're trying to tell them. So they may be young, but that doesn't mean they're too young to learn. Um, maybe we just need to re, um, refigure how we're communicating it to help them understand. 
where I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I will do. Um, this is the person that's unprepared in seasons of life, right? I don't know what I will do. Maybe they're just, um, and genuinely, they might be even in the middle of it. And I don't know what I'm going to do, and I don't know how to fix this, so I'm going to do nothing. Right? And some people will do that, and oftentimes we can see how that will play out, right? It's just people get overwhelmed. I don't know how to fix this, so I'm just going to hope it goes away. I'm going to ignore it. A lot of times when you see that in a parent's life, you'll find that they do that in other areas of life also. Whether it's at the workplace, the problem comes up, just get ignored, hopefully it goes away, somebody somebody else will deal with it, and I don't have to deal with it. Or uh, fights with their spouse or marriage issues. It might bleed into other areas, but it's just kind of the idea of unprepared, um, don't know how to do it, so I'm just not going to do anything about it at all. So it would be a second approach. Obviously, you can see those first two approaches uh, to parenting are the ones we don't want to see, but we do want to see the third one. What does the biblical parent understand? What is the attitude the biblical parent does with their children's problems and how they parent them? The first, they understand that God uses trials. We know that from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Brothers, count it all joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. Why? Because you know that the trials are producing steadfastness, patience. But, but you let that steadfastness have its perfect work, its full effect, so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. A, a, a biblical parent understands that. But God is using hardships in the life of the child to conform them or, or to bring them to maturity and completeness. Initially, to bring them to faith in Christ and and also then to conform them to the image of Christ. And God uses those trials. They have a right perspective on trials. A biblical parent does. And hardships come in all shapes and sizes. For a a young one, three, four, five-year-old, hardships are, um, you know, not getting what they want, being told no, or there's all these toys to pick up and they're tired. That's a hardship, right? Those are difficulties for young ones. And um, obviously they get... Um, more challenging as they get older, but, but a biblical parent doesn't just know that God uses trials in the life of their children. A biblical parent also knows that God uses trials in their life also. They, they realize that even the hardship that they're having with their child and the problems that they're encountering with their child is actually God's work in their life. That's what a biblical parent does, understands that, understands the pressures that come with parenting children is part of God's uh, instruments to shape and conform them to his image. Um, A biblical parent lets God continue his work in us towards the goal. That Romans 8, 28 and 29. We talked about that as God's goal for our life, that this is how we glorify God. That's how we bring him honor, by becoming like Christ. So they have a right perspective on that and recognizes that this is a work in progress and knows that God will continue his work to bring that about to the end. Trusts God to do that work. And in the process, a biblical parent is asking and seeking wisdom. That's why I said if your prayer life doesn't increase, you probably haven't gotten the right perspective on parenting. And and, and I think that's a note to to make in terms of of counseling someone. of parents need to be praying. Right? Parents need to be praying. And, and so if I'm counseling a parent and, and their prayer life is not 
what it needs to be. And, and I don't know if we pulled the room, if anybody would say my prayer life is what it needs to be, right? Part of your homework is going to have to include pray. They have to be praying, seeking God's wisdom, because that's a proper approach from a biblical parent, is they're asking of God, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives liberally, generously, and doesn't hold back. Okay, so that, that's the attitude. There's different attitudes we might encounter from parents to parenting, and we want to bring them from impatience or passivity uh, into a biblical understanding and a biblical approach to parenting. Parents need to understand they have a charge from God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This text, really for the, le- the next um, three lectures, we're going to camp out a lot in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Primarily, verse number 4 uh, is where most of our time will be spent. Um, we'll certainly look at other texts, but this will be our primary text. Children, it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So God's command to children, obey parents, honor your father and mother, is the first commandment with the promise, so that it might go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And then verse number four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In this verse, you find both a negative and a positive. Something to avoid. Do not provoke your children to anger. And then the positive, but rather bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Okay? And this is the charge from God. Now, it is, you can read that, it's given directly to fathers. But mothers are not absent from here either. Okay? Um, in fact, uh, it is expected that the people that are reading that would understand that while it is directed at fathers, it also applies to mothers. The fathers, of course, are um, given as the representative of the home in that sense, the head of the household, uh, and as representative of the parents, the fathers are given that instruction. Now, remember the context surrounding Ephesians chapter 6. This is embedded into... Uh, really several different instructions given to different people in the family. Husbands and wives dominates the end of chapter 5, how they are to relate to one another. Children, and then, of course, in the beginning of chapter 6. And then fathers, or you could even expand that out into parents, right? The parents are given these instructions in verse 4, and then he continues with masters and slaves. Um, But it is directed to to fathers, and why, why single dads out? Certainly they are representative of the home, but why would you single fathers out? Um, Well, um, one of the reasons is because dads, uh, (coughs) I'm a little behind on that. Why single dads out? Well, because dads tend to be neglectful of responsibilities. That's just generally true. Okay, you can give me all kinds of exceptions. I get that, but generally true. A lot of the, a lot of the men I speak to, here's their, here's their understanding. I provide physically for my family, and I protect them physically, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Give them physical provision, and physical protection. And listen, I work sixty hours a week, to make sure that my family's provided for. 
and I make sure that they're protected physically and I've done my job. That's oftentimes the mentality of men uh, towards their families, and, and certainly we, we believe that's biblical, right? That they, they are providing and protecting, the, but it's not reduced only to that. So sometimes men just tend, and dads tend to be neglectful of other kind of responsibilities like parenting, and being involved in the parenting of their children, um, a general characteristic. And so they don't recognize how much uh, what the full-orbed understanding of what a father is to be uh, in the scriptures. And so they're singled out here to, to remind them of that. Also, they tend to be timid about parenting. Right? They tend to be timid about parenting. Um, they may not have um, uh, an understanding of how to do it. Um, you know, just not, there's a, there's a sense with, with moms that, again, generally speaking, moms kind of just um, take to motherhood some, take to parenting. Dads kind of maybe don't know always how to do things, so they're a little bit more timid about parenting, so, so they need a direct charge. And because dad is accountable to God, right? Dad is accountable to God. That's the idea of representative. But it's not just representative in the sense that it's both dad and mom, but it's representative in the sense that dad is accountable for the household, right? That's clear from various places in the scripture, but you could see it just in the previous chapter where the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And, and so he has that role, that responsibility that comes with it. And so what's going on in his household, including how the children are being parented, is under his oversight and his purview and his responsibility. And so when God comes to bring an account to the household, he's coming to the dad first, right? Just like God came to Adam in the garden right? and said, hey, what's, what, what happened here, right? Uh, that's how uh, God holds the men accountable. So, so they need that particular charge. So parents are given this charge from God, uh, bring them up in the nurture admonition of the Lord. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit and consider this particular goal that God gives to parents, and that's to bring them up. Bring them up. That's the command. That's the verb we find in the second half of the the verse, again, we said there's a negative, do not provoke your children to anger, avoid that, but the positive, bring them up. So let's think of that just a little bit. I do a little bit of exegetical work when we want to understand what the Bible says about a particular topic. The first place we go is a passage of Scripture because we're biblical counselors, right? Um, and, and we actually try to understand what that passage says. It's called exegesis. And so... Um, in this text, uh, the verb used is in what we call an active voice. I'm getting you back into English class a little bit. Active voice versus passive voice, right? And, and here's what the active voice means. In the Greek, it means um, active, right? It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It means intentionality. It means somebody has to do something, okay? Uh, it means the person, the subject, which is here fathers, parents, must do something with their children, okay? 
So it's not passive. That would be be brought up. That, that would be somebody else bringing up the child, okay? Um, and it's not the responsibility of somebody else to bring up your child. That's the idea. Uh, you're going to talk to parents that really would expect at some level, and again, implicitly, maybe never saying this explicitly, but implicitly thinking, well, somebody else is going to bring up my child, and oftentimes that's the church. I'm going to bring them to church. I'm going to, again, encourage that. We tell them that if they're not doing that, it's going to be part of their homework. You bring your child to church too. Um, but uh, they can't pass off that idea onto the church, the youth group, or somebody else to bring up their child because that's not, this text is not passive. It's not middle. There's another voice in the Greek that we call it more reflexive in our English grammar, but it's not middle, which would be bring yourselves up. Again, wouldn't that be wonderful and marvelous, we think? We have children that bring themselves up, um, but that's not what it is. Uh, it's not bring yourselves up. Um, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, we're familiar uh, likely with this verse, train up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he's not, he will not depart from it. There's a, uh, an understanding that we are to train up the child in the way that they should go. Okay? A general proverb um, which is not a, I'm not telling us that that's guaranteed, okay? It's, it's, it's a general proverb. This is how God works in the world, but I'm not saying that if you push the right buttons and insert the right formula, you get the product that you're hoping, right? That's, that's not the proverb, but it's a general proverb. And, and the understanding of this proverb is that uh, something needs to be done actively, intentionally. Um, Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Okay? That means they need to be parented so that the child matures. Okay? So it's an active voice. The verb bring up is also present tense, which means continuing to bring them up. Continuing to bring them up. So that... Um, Parenting doesn't stop when they turn, you know, 13, 14, 15. I've, I've talked to parents that, that have teenagers, and, and they kind of take a really hands-off approach. Now, again, um, uh, there, is, there is a sense in which you're, um, you know, not going to be as restrictive with a 16-year-old as you are with a 3-year-old, right? We understand that kind of stuff. But I've talked to parents that just, well, they're 16 now, right? What can I do? The idea here is that they're continuing to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They're continuing to raise them in a God-honoring way. Okay? It's an imperative, a command. Again, not a divine suggestion. It says, this is a good idea. If you would train your children, if you would bring them up. Now, this has the authority of heaven that says, parents... Your requirement, your command from the Lord is to bring up your children, okay, to raise them, to um, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So again, the goal is active, not passive, if we haven't mentioned that yet. Active, not passive. Okay. Now this <clears throat> is also keeping 
um, with other principles uh, that the scriptures teach. So this understanding that if we find in Ephesians 6, 4, it's not isolated to just Ephesians 6, 4. Consider, um, you, don't have, you don't have to go through all these passages or two of them all. We won't have time to, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And there we know that as the Great Commission. And Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, that command also relates to parents and their children, so to make them disciples, okay? It's just part of the general responsibilities of Christians as well, uh, that there would, uh, they would grow in understanding, and not just understanding, so not just learning Bible stories, as important as that is, not just learning what the Bible says, but also learning as that passage says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, to obey and to live in the way that God has required of them, God-honored living. It's also consistent with um, Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28, where, where Paul there gives his ministry uh, kind of goals. He says, him we preach, meaning Christ, warning every man and teaching every man with all, in all wisdom warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Again, that would have to, by implication, include parents and their children. Warning them and teaching them in all wisdom. Why? Why? So that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul was striving for in his ministry. And parents have to understand they have a ministry to their children. That's a very important and a primary ministry that parents have to their children. To help them. Hebrews 5, 14 would be another text. And solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see the description in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, solid food belongs to those who are full age, mature. And he describes those who are mature as this who by reason of use, practice, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, which implies this, when they haven't reached that, they're still not discerning. They're immature, okay? That's the idea. Um, so as parents, our goal is to help them mature in that, to learn to think and be discerning, to discern between what is good and what is worthless, because children don't know naturally that these things are worthless. Why? Because they haven't matured. So one of our jobs is to help train them to mature that, right? There's a huge difference between a child growing up, again, the passive and active sense. Children grow up, but there's a difference between them growing up and bringing them up. So bringing them up, um, if you feed a child, give them food, shelter. Um, I was just talking to uh, my, my grandfather this morning on the drive here. He said, how are the kids doing? I said, well, they're growing. I keep feeding them three times a day, right? So when I feed them three times a day, what are they going to do? They're going to grow. Right? They're going to grow up if I give them the necessities of life. But that's not the only responsibility or even the primary. It's, it's a bring up so that they go from self-centered to being other 
oriented, thinking and acting biblically. So you could say the goal of parenting is to prepare our children to leave the home nest and fly successfully for themselves by thinking and acting biblically regarding life and issues of life. Okay, Children, and this is how the, the book of Proverbs understands even young people, even not just um, young children, but even just young people. They're simple, right? Their discernment is not there yet. They need to be trained and helped to know this is the path of wisdom. Walk in the path of wisdom. Okay. There are many issues that can complicate parenting, and as you're counseling in this, counseling your own heart first, and then counseling other people, you need to be aware and watch out for these issues that might complicate parenting. Again, that's why uh, it's a good practice not to work, as I said before, uh, only with children without parent involvement. Generally speaking, there may be some exceptions to this, I understand that, but again, on the majority, uh, when a, if a parent is having issues where they want me to meet with a child, generally I'm also going to be meeting with the parents um, because they are God-given primary disciplers of these, this child. Um, but here's some issues that could complicate it. Um, exasperating the child to a wrathful lifestyle. We will talk about that more and what that looks like, but that's that first part of Ephesians 4, don't provoke your children to anger. Um, a failure to solve problems between mom and dad. A failure to solve problems between mom and dad. There's really a lot of marital conflict, and it, it, we don't get to conflict resolution very well. Um, that's going to complicate parenting. Uh, I often tell parents, the, the relationship between you two is one of the most important things about your parenting. So let's talk about, you know, cause I, when, I'm, when I'm meeting with the couple, um, I'm not just talking about Tommy. One of the things I ask them is, how is your marriage? How do you deal with conflict? What are they seeing in the home? And, and how are you guys operating? Um, that's an issue that can complicate parenting, inconsistencies in parents. Say one thing and do another. So that would be uh, not walking the walk, but just talking the talk. Um, it also uh, means parents need to be on the same page. Right? Parents need to be a team together. Um, that's good advice for the couples, no matter what. In marriage, in all respects, um, is that they need to be a team together. Um, so if the child knows, oh, this, this parent's easier to deal with, right? Mom has been um, dealing with these issues all day long. Dad comes home um, and, you know, comes and mom has said no to candy 10 times that day, right? And then dad comes home and says, look, you can have all the candy you want, right? They know dad might be the one to go to because he's softer. I can get dad to roll over and I can't get mom. They, they know this, trust me. Right? And there have been moments in times where I'll tell my kids a little bit here, but there have been moments in time where, you know, I've tried to insert and they're saying, you know, I'm talking to mom. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if you're talking to mom, right? But why are they saying that? Because they know if I can just get the angle here the right way, I can get what I want. They're crafty, just like we are. 
Inconsistencies in parents can complicate it. Failure to establish and build relationship. Again, we'll look at this in just a bit. Inconsistencies in discipline. Um, one time, the child gets away with it. The next day, just because the parent's irritated, the child does it, and it's World War III. And it's just, we blow up, right? They, they, the person, the child's just confused. They don't know what to expect. I got away with it yesterday. They laughed at it yesterday. Today, they yelled at me, right? There's inconsistencies in discipline. That can create challenges. Again, if you're a parent, you're saying, oh, Lord, help me. I understand that. So look for these kind of inconsistencies. Um, so what does it look like not to provoke your child to anger? Let's talk about that a little bit. Helping our uh, children handle anger. Um, this uh, it means to not exas exasperate your child. Don't exasperate your child. Okay. What it doesn't mean is that you never oppose, deny, cross, or upset them. That's not what it means. Remember, passivity is not the ideal here. Um, the scriptures have many, uh, many places where fathers are shown to have failed for not actually ever crossing or upsetting, denying their children. One thinks of King David in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. David was an excellent warrior, an excellent king, but the Bible does not depict him as an excellent father. In 1 Kings 1, 6, Adonijah who wants to set himself up as king. This is when David is old. He wants to be king. And it says in verse 6, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Well, that's an indictment on David, isn't it? It never really crossed his son um, to tell him. It's a, it's a, a, so not exasperating your child doesn't mean giving them whatever they want. Uh, Eli would be another example. First Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 3, Eli and his sons, the scriptures indict Eli for never crossing his sons and letting them do whatever they want and take advantage of the people and dishonor God. Even God would tell them, and, and God would tell Eli through the prophet in 1 Samuel 2.29, you have honored your sons more than me. You've honored your sons more than me. You see how it's really, really easy and dangerous to get that crossed when we begin to get off the wrong goal of honoring God. And Eli um, he had disastrous consequences with his sons. So it doesn't mean uh, that you should never deny or cross, but it does mean you don't bring up your children to an angry, impulsive lifestyle. An angry, impulsive lifestyle. Um, Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight: Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. It's no self-control. They're just impulsive and angry and wrathful. This, this imagery is, is incredible in Proverbs 25. It's, an image, it's a, a city without walls because it's open to be easily pillaged and plundered. Right? Open easily to even uh, vulnerable to all other kinds of attacks from the enemy. So an angry child is easily robbed of joy and happiness and peace and is open to all kinds of other temptations. 
So that's the idea, not to exasperate them. Don't bring them up in an angry, impulsive lifestyle. 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, verses 22 or verse 23 in particular, um, speaks of two different kinds of anger that we want to be aware of. Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it says, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. There's a couple of kinds of anger here. Uh, that it speaks of open rebellion and stubbornness. You see it there. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And that one we might see uh, more prominent or we might think of when we think of an angry, impulsive lifestyle. So it's openly rebellious. Um, they're rebellious against God. They're, they're clearly rebellious against their parents. They're rebellious against the church. Um, they, they're rebellious against any authority. Right? They, just, they just hate authority. That's the most obvious expression of sinful anger, because we can see it. But the second kind of anger is a little bit more passive, and it's stubbornness. We may not as easily identify that, but um, here the text, the scriptures tell us that stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, so it's also serious. There may be more passive resentment in the child, uh, or apathy, indifference, maybe even. Just kind of a subpar performance, don't really care, right? Just don't, don't really care. Um, anything that's it's that scripture that says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might is like the opposite of what they do. It's just kind of eh, whatever. Um, so you ask parent asks the child to to do a chore and they just kind of piddle around and they just half-heartedly do it, whatever. And there's a, a sense there of stubbornness. Um, so. Uh, these are the issues. We don't want to bring them up in a way that uh, allow or that, that um, encourages these kinds of angry responses, whether open rebellion or stubbornness and passivity. Um, now, we're not suggesting that you pounce every time your child has an expression of anger, you just get them. Right? You pounce on them. Um, there is a tendency sometimes in parents, you're counseling them, and they begin to learn some of these principles, they begin to think they have to change that tomorrow in their kid. And their kid has to now be fully matured tomorrow. Because uh, if not, then, uh, you know, they have all these visions. Listen, I ran into this as well. My, my daughter was five, and she did something. I, I couldn't even tell you what it, what it is now. And, and in my mind, I had visions of this just you know, off-the-rails teenager that was just going to be, and I was just... I got to hit this now, right? Because that's going to happen in the future and this is going to be terrible and, and, and I overreacted in that, right? So, so we're not talking about an overreaction. With parenting, um, there's a long-term, long-view approach. Right? You're in this for the long haul and you have to remind parents of that periodically from time to time because as they learn some of these things, they're going to begin to think that everything, they're, they're going to make some major changes, there's no doubt. But sometimes it becomes the other side of the pendulum where they go from passive to critical, and it just becomes every single thing the child does. They pounce on that child. They, they have to remember they're going to have them for some time, um, and they, they're not going to do everything in one lecture. <laughs> as, as much as I thought 
one lecture was going to change my child, and I've got it, right? I've got the good one. I'm going to deliver just the right one, and this is going to be life-changing. They're going to remember this forever, right? My daughter was two when I did that. And as I got down and I locked eyeballs with her and I just began to talk to her about heart issues at two years old. It was wonderful. And she was, you know, listening and just attentive and, and, and just reached right through me to grab whatever food she had and just started eating as I was talking. And I thought, I've lost it, right? What am I doing? <laughs> what in the world am I thinking right now uh, trying to deliver this perfect lecture to my daughter? That's, we're going to need to talk about these things, but there are going to be many, many, many conversations about these, not just one uh, perfect conversation. Um, so we have to remember that. Again, that's just a sense of giving grace, okay? giving grace in that. Um, uh, we have to remind them, and we're going to talk about this in the next couple of sessions, that Ephesians 6, 4 reminds us that there are two categories to work on. That the negative, don't bring them up instead. What is one of the ways we don't bring them up in this wrathful, exasperated lifestyle? How do we avoid that? Well, we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The training, okay? Structured control, we'll talk about discipline and the admonition or the instruction of the Lord, teaching them what is right, what is wrong, what is good. Modeling that for them. Um, what are some things that hinder uh, helping your child handle anger? What is going to backtrack you? Well, neglecting or ignoring the child, um, neglecting or ignoring them, again, that's the passive approach. Uh, that's a way to foster trouble for both you as a parent and the child. And, and parents have to, have to be, again, intentional about this. It's the activity of it. It's the active side. Because we understand there's a lot of pressures in life for parents. And there's going to be a lot of stress and challenges and troubles, financial maybe, that's always on their mind. And, um, you know, all kinds of other pressures that might come. Again, if there's conflict in the marriage, that's going to add pressure. And there's a lot of things that can distract parents. And parents can be, you know, present but distracted. Present bodily, right, but distracted. And, and in effect, they're ignoring uh, the child. So that's going to hinder um, helping your child handle anger. Being a negative parent, we talked about swinging the pendulum to the other side uh, and having a critical spirit. Ephesians 4.29, um, I post that around their house, post that around your house. Um, give that for homework. Let no corrupting communication come out of your mouth, but only what is good for edification, that it may minister grace to the hearer. What is our goal with our words? That's what parents need to understand. Uh, the parent needs to understand their goal in their words is to build up, edify, and minister grace to the person that's hearing it. Minister grace to their child. They need to be thinking, in this moment, how can I minister grace to this child? We'll talk about that more in a moment, but um, the child is struggling. That's the moment they need grace ministered to them from their parent. That's, that, that's when they need most help from us. And, and so being a negative parent, having a critical spirit, um, doing everything, right? If they, for instance, they come home with a B on the report card, there's no sense of 
good job, you're improving, you're, you're doing well, right? Are you trying your hardest? It's, well, why didn't you get an A, right? Or um, comparing them to others. Well, you know, your brother or sister even. Your sister does this, why don't you do that? Or, you know, Fred down the street, they're, they're really like this. Why, why don't you do what Fred does? Well, that's, that's critical, negative. Um, not allowing harmful mistakes, or harmless mistakes, excuse me, not allowing harmless mistakes. And sometimes the issues are not sin versus not sin, but sometimes it's just immaturity, right? A child has an accident and spills something over, and, and some parents don't want to let that go. Um, there's, there's hardship. It's not, everything is not have to be um, a moral issue. Right? Sometimes it's just an experience. Maybe lack of social skills that they need to be trained in. Something of that nature. Um, things that can hinder is not differentiating between the scripture and the house rules. So we need to differentiate in, uh, in the sense of this. Uh, well, here's, here's what we need to do. We need to be careful not to teach as doctrines the commandments of men. That's what the Pharisees did in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, right? Um, and, and this is why we can say the difference between house rules, uh, or excuse me, the moral issues and the non-moral issues. Um, we want to be careful that what we establish, and we also make clear here, um, what is sin and what is not sin. We need to think through, is this uh, rule we're making Bible-derived or Bible-directed? Bible-derived or Bible-directed? Um, oftentimes, someone has observed that uh, teens can stray from the faith and develop a contempt for the faith because there's a familiarity. Um, there's, in, in the sense that parents have lost some of their awe for God's grace, and they've not communicated that to the child. Um, or they failed to live with their child in a way that um, models faith in Christ in a personal relationship, or they see hypocrisy in their parents. So uh, these are some things. Uh, also, refusing to listen. Refusing to listen. James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. There's all kinds of Proverbs that can help here. Proverbs chapter 18, uh, 13 and 17. If you answer a matter before you hear it, it is folly and shame to him. Sometimes we have already assumed, parents have read the heart of their children, know what their motives were, know what happened, and don't even give them an opportunity to say anything, right? We just want to run roughshod. But some, right, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them could just be that um, we're just ready to get this done so we can go on to what we really want to do, right? So, so we don't take time to listen to them. And that's going to exasperate and exacerbate the child. The first one to plead his cause, Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him, right? You get the, the one sibling come and they tell, this is what happened, right? Um, and then the parent takes that and just goes and disciplines the other child without hearing the other side of what happened, right? Um, it is so curious how um, what you see your heart in the mirror of your child, 
because they come to you and they will tell you the long list of things that their sister did or their brother did and leave out anything that they did. I've learned to ask, so you were just sitting there calmly doing nothing and she just came up and whacked you? Well, not quite. (laughs) Okay, let's get a little bit more here. Draw a little bit more of that. Again, you see your heart in there, don't you? You see the mirror of your heart. You're going to exaggerate their response and not yours, but but when we refuse to listen, sometimes we're going to exasperate. We're going to jump to conclusions. Permissiveness would be another one. Permissiveness. Um, We'll cover uh, some of these things in our discipline lecture. But the one who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him promptly. Child-centered homes do not work. Just go to the story of Jacob and his sons and watch the favoritism play out among the brothers. Right? Uh, um, you'll find quickly child-centered homes do not work. Okay. Too many rules in the home. Too many rules in the home. Matthew 23, 4. Wisdom is uh, easily entreated. James 3, 7, or excuse me, 3, 17. Having too many rules where it's overbearing and domineering. Again, I think there is um, some help in terms of when we think of Scripture and what we want with the house rules to even think carefully about, um, you know, how we conduct the home and how God wants us in those rules. And you can give some specific rules, uh, but especially generally, so that you're not domineering or overbearing and they can't even move, right? Because um, they feel like they're going to break a rule if they just, they woke up, got out of bed, and they feel like they broke a rule, right? So just because there's such a tight ship. Um, Changing rules, Again, vacillating back and forth all the time. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have the rules and you, you're trying to implement them and bring them and maybe you adjust something here and there that there's wisdom to that and humility, but when you're constantly changing rules so that they don't know what to expect, it's going to be hard. Again, inconsistent follow-through, having double standards. That's good for you, but not for me. Um, the uncontrolled anger in the parents. Again, we said a lot of the problems are going to be in the parents, right? Uncontrolled anger. Colossians 3.21 is a, a parallel passage to our Ephesians 6.4. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, so, uh, uncontrolled anger in the parent. Uh, it might look like abusive language, words, tones, actions. God never, ever... Uh, commends that or says that's okay in any way. Uh, Again, Ephesians 4.29 is one of our guides. Um, The wrath of man, James 1.20, does not produce the righteousness that God requires. In anger, often, um, the parent is more concerned about being inconvenienced or, um, you know, the lack of comfort that they have versus whether God is honored or not, whether the child has sinned against God. So, so the, the frustration that comes boiling out of the parent is because this child has broken the rules of my kingdom. And I am king here. 
and they're not so concerned about whether God is whether the child is sinned against God and what this means for the child, right? But rather, it's it's on on self. Um, that's why parenting is hard because it works on our heart, okay? And it deals with our idols. Paul Tripp, in his book, Age of Opportunity, excellent book, um, really, especially at the teenage years, talks about several potential idols that could drive our behavior. Um, let's see if I can get this to work. Um, there are several there. Um, idol of comfort would be one of them. An idol of comfort. Right? I can't watch TV in peace without you kids going crazy. You're fighting again. I hear it all throughout the house. And I'm just trying to get a moment's rest or read my book or whatever they want to do. Um, idol of respect. You can do anything, but if you disrespect me, it's the last thing you're going to do. Idol of appreciation. Do you know how much I do for you? And you don't appreciate me? You don't even say thank you? How ungrateful. Idol of success. Boy, you're embarrassing me. You know, we go to church and you act like this. People think I'm not a good dad. People think I'm not a good mom. How embarrassing that is. Perceived success in their eyes. Look what you've done. You're a disgrace. An idol of control would be another one. An idol of control. <laughs> and this, I'll tell you, children step on all these idols. Children step on control big time, don't they? don't they? Oh, man. I can control this. No, not so much. So we've got to consider that, uh, things that hinder helping your child with anger.